Okay, great. Also, like, this you're the first guest I've had on this who's, like, not from Toronto, who, like, doesn't know my dating history, so that's a fun thing. Okay. Okay. Well, hopefully I'll learn some stuff today. All right. Hello and welcome to Shredded, the post-breakup podcast. I am your host, Brennan D'Souza, and I'm joined today by an absolute living icon and legend, uh, the host and creator of, co-host and creator of Chosen Family on CBC. Uh, just a true delight. Uh, Trana Wintour, hello. Hi. Thank you so much for those really kind words. <laughs> They were, I, I could do kinder, but I'm always like, you know, with like a Canadian podcast, like as a guest, you're yeah, like, yeah, no, you don't want to push it. And let's yeah. also not exaggerate. Let's keep it real. <laughs> if you could like give your own intro, what would that be? No, I, I like, I'm not good at singing my own praises at all. <laughs> so like my own intro would be like, she's here. Let's do it. <laughs> they showed up. Yeah. Just get to the That's thing. That's it. Exactly. All of my friends who like aren't artists are like, you're all, you're so successful. You're doing this. And I'm like, I'm doing bar shows. And they're like, no, you've done all these things. And they'll like read my, my credits. And I'm like, I'm an artist in Canada. I could literally be Oprah. And someone would be like, I know who you are. And I'm like, mm, sure. Yeah, I know. It always looks way more glamorous from the outside. You know, the reality is usually quite different. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Trina, uh, I hate to do this to you. This is a very low-budget podcast, and I can't afford a theme song. <laughs> do you want to improvise a theme song with me? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, do you want to do... I usually split it up by music and lyrics, so did you want to take music, or did you want to take lyrics? Oh my god, I'll take lyrics. Okay, and did you yeah. have like a preferred musical genre? I mean, I'm a pop girl for sure. Okay. Okay. I can, yeah. I can throw out some pop. We'll see. So are you going to like, are you going to like sing or like hum melody and I'm going to do lyrics on top of that? Yep. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> I mean, I'm ready, I guess. As ready as I could ever be. Improv literally gives me anxiety. I don't know why me I too. do Okay. But I mean, it's good to push yourself, I guess, outside of your comfort zone. We're going to get through this together. Okay. Okay. Ready? Uh, here I'm ready. We go. It's time to get shredded. It's time to get shredded. Yes. Are you ready? <laughs> Honestly, short and sweet is the way to go. That was it. Yeah. That was a great melody. I'm sorry that I failed you. I, I'm sorry that I couldn't um, match your genius. As the host and creator of Shredded the Post Breakup Podcast, I personally found those lyrics to be very moving. Okay, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to talk some shit? Let's, I mean, isn't that what we're here for? That's what we're all here for. All right. Tell me about your, uh, your relationship, the deets. As much as you feel like divulging. Yeah. Um, well, this is, like, technically um, my first and only, like, serious slash long-term relationship. Okay. Um, I've been single for a really, really long time. Well, since that relationship, which was around, I think it was the summer of 2008. 
Okay. Um, and it was, so this was a weird time in my life because it was a time in my life where I really hadn't come to an understanding of myself as a trans person. So at this point in my life, I was trying to move through the world as a cis gay guy, which mm-hmm. never felt right, you know, even at the time. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that on some level that must be, be part of why that relationship didn't work out and just why nothing worked out at that time. I don't know what my excuse is for why it's not working now um, (laughs) that I haven't figured out, (laughs) but the reason why it wasn't working then was because it was just this time of, you know, discomfort and not really just feeling so out of place, you know? So I would be on like the gay dating apps at the time or like going Mm -hmm. out to gay clubs and, just never really feeling comfortable in that world. Um, 100%. I don't remember exactly which, like, dating site it was, because at the time there weren't really apps. I don't even know if there were smartphones at that time. Um, So it must have been, like, an OK... No, did OkCupid have a website? I don't even know. Maybe it was Plenty of Fish. Okay, he it might have been plenty of fish. Okay. Yeah, I think it was plenty of fish. Anyway, one of the like dating sites, you mm-hmm. know, pretty, pretty standard, and there was a lot of messaging back and forth before we finally met up. And I remember just feeling like really excited about this guy. His name was Jesse. Um, he was That's my a age. good name for a first relationship. I guess. <laughs> And, um, yeah, I was excited, you know, and I, you know, up until that point, I had never had, like, a serious boyfriend before. Like, I barely dated. I -hmm. think before that, it was just sort of, like, there were a couple of, like, one-off kind of hookups that were really not great. Um, But for so long, like, growing up and in my teens and my early adulthood, I wanted a boyfriend so badly, Like, this was a time in my life where I was so codependent and just always had this fantasy of being with a guy and thinking that that would somehow complete my life and make life amazing and exciting. Like, I was really in that sort of mentality at that time. Fortunately, I'm no longer in that mentality. (laughs) I mean, I just got out of the mentality like six months ago, so relatable. (laughs) It takes a while. I think for me, it you know, coming out of that mentality, it went to a whole other extreme where I just wanted to achieve like total independence and self-sufficiency. I think to the point where I no longer know how to let anyone in. So it's like a whole it's like the opposite problem now. Interesting. OK, yeah. that is something I want to circle back on because um, I like. Or maybe we'll just do it now. Like, I felt, like, in a number of my relationships, like, it would, like, end. And then, like, you do that, thing, like, that, like, revenge body thing where you're, like, I'm just going to, like, better myself. Or I'm going to, like, right. do something to, like, prove to this person that, like, you're missing out. Which, like, is fine for, like, a spell. But, like, you can't right. pitch yourself all the way into it. And I feel like it's only, like, recently that I've started being, like, I'm going to do this for myself. Yeah. Exactly. Um, But yeah, so 
Yeah, I'm just, like, right now it's so hard for me to, like, let anyone in. Like, I just, I've put up, like, so many walls around myself. And part of it is related more to things that I experienced as a kid and being Mm -hmm. bullied and, like, that sort of self-protective coping mechanism that, like, you know, sort of comes into place and... And it's hard to let go of the sort of emotional habits that did serve a purpose at a time, but that maybe are no longer, you know, what you need right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so, you know, very straightforward, met Jesse online, spoke a lot on like Facebook Messenger and texting before meeting up. Um, And then when we finally met up, um, it it was we went for dinner Again, very straightforward sort of first date. Um, And I remember, like, really liking him, like, having a sort of, like, instant chemistry that at that point was not really romantic. Like, really more of, like, a friendship chemistry and a really good dynamic. And he was so much fun to talk to. And I had such a great time with him, but I didn't feel the physical attraction. I didn't feel the romantic spark, but I felt like there was great chemistry and he was someone like, I really enjoyed being in his company and hanging out with him. So I wanted to see him again, you know, and, and to see where that would go. Yeah. So then how long did that go for? So I would say like, you know, we kept seeing each other for like a couple of weeks and honestly that attraction like did end up sort of, sort of happening, you know, just very organically, like just through that spending that time with him and and getting to know him. um, Mm -hmm. I, I really started to feel it, you know, not just physically, but like, you know, feelings of, like, kind of being in love with that person. It's kind of weird to look back on it now because it's been so long. Um, so it, it feels, you know, now I'm not so sure if I was really in love. It's kind of hard to tell now with all of this past time. But at yeah. the time, like, it definitely sort of felt like that. And... You know, Jesse came from, like, a really different world than me. Like, he came from a super wealthy family. Um, I do not come from a super wealthy family. I come from a family that has, you know, like, really struggled financially. And I think that in some ways, too, you know, like, I had this fantasy of having a boyfriend. But I think that I also had this fantasy of you know, the sort of, like, rich boyfriend who would, like, take care of you. And that's not what I was seeking out with Jesse at all, but it just, you know, that dimension just ended up sort of being there as well. Absolutely. It's like being with, like, because I've had a similar thing where I came from, like, not the wealthiest of backgrounds, and then you meet someone who's, like, in another class than you, and it's not something you, like, are actively seeking out, but, like, now this is like, created a universe where that access is possible. So then it does become part of, like, not the attraction, but definitely, like, that is the world you live in now, and that is the world you have access to, and it's very difficult separating what, like, the immediate connection and the organic connection is versus, like, what, how does this serve me? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I never really experienced any of that you know like we weren't together long enough for 
you know, it to really be a thing. Mm -hmm. But it was really interesting to watch, like, the way that he moved through the world. You know what I mean? Like, a very different set of problems. I would argue a much easier (laughs) set of problems, you know? And, And just watching someone who, like, has everything taken care of for them. You know, like, he had a really beautiful apartment that, you know, his parents were paying for, I believe. Um, and yeah, it was, it was strange to just witness that. And I'm sure like there was, you know, if not envy, like just a desire to like, know what that would feel like, um, and what that would be like. For sure. So I remember one of our like early dates, cause I'm a big Barbara Streisand fan and I guess that like came up in conversation and like his mom loves Barbara Streisand and, um, at his like, fa- like at his family's house, like they had this like Barbara, like concert film. And so like his family was away and like, we went to his family's house and like, we watched this concert and like, the house was just like, you know, like so big and yeah, it was just, it was just weird to be in that world. Yeah. Relatable. Um. Yeah. And I wasn't like, Jesse wasn't the first person that I had sex with, but I think he was like the first person that I had like good sex with. And the first person that I felt really comfortable with, you know, Mm -hmm. getting intimate with, because I think prior to Jesse, like my experiences were very um, uncomfortable. Like I didn't, I remember just in experiences prior to him just always being so nervous and like not able to enjoy it. I was always just sort of terrified by those experiences. Um, But Jesse like made me feel like really good and comfortable and secure, um, which really allowed me to actually like fully enjoy that, you know, in this, in the way that I had fantasized about that as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's like, um, there's that thing of like, you have to like know your own body before you like, you go into sex and like, you know, you like learn your masturbation and like all of that, but like also like learning with someone that you're comfortable with is just opens all those things up. Yeah, exactly. And I, like, I just remember him being, like, really patient and just caring, you know? Because the other experiences were basically just hookups. So there were no feelings. There were no, there wasn't, I never got the feeling that there was any real regard for me as a person, you know? Um, But with Jesse, it it was, you know, there were real feelings. Um, And... You know, we didn't really date for all that long. You know, it was like maybe around, I don't know, five, six months, you Mm -hmm. know? And like, again, that's still like the longest relationship that I've had. Um, But, you know, I know that like time is not what defines the meaning of something. Um, But I think so... Basically, we were reaching a point where I felt like we were getting closer than ever. Like, things felt so great. Things felt like they were developing. My feelings were getting bigger and more intense, and I felt like they were really reciprocated. So it just felt good all around. Um, And I grew up in the suburbs of Montreal, 
Um, and the summer that I was dating Jesse, I um, subletted a friend's downtown apartment because um, she was in Montreal for school and she would go back home for the summer. And I yeah. want I subletted her apartment so that I could get a sense of what it would be like to live out on my own before doing it for real, like kind of like a test run. So like that was also like the first summer that of like my first summer of like real independence. That's you a know, big not living at you. home. Yeah, it was a big summer, honestly. It really was. And, you know, it was the first... I mean, it was a stupid, shitty office job, but it was, like, my first time also having, like, a grown-up job, you know? Um, And so it was a summer of just, like, a lot of firsts. And so I think, it, you know, there was just so many changes in my life, and with that, so many emotions... And but, you know, I was feeling really good. It felt like so many things that I had wanted for so long were like really coming together. And um, towards the end of our relationship, I was at this office job. It was at the end of the summer. So I, I had to, you know, go back home. And I remember Jesse lived downtown in the city. And I remember um, being at work and we had planned like this whole like night together and I was going to stay over at his place because I no longer had a place in the city. Um, And I remember that day at work, like all day just being so excited to like see him and spend time with him. And he came to meet me at work and we're walking and like his energy is like really strange And, you know, it was this very, like, doom and gloom cliche of, like, I need to talk to you. And we were in this park um, that's, like, smack downtown in Montreal. It's, like, near Central Station. It's At the time, it was called Dorchester Square. I think the park might still be called that. Um, And it's just this big public park. And I'm trying to remember, my, like, my very limited geography of Montreal from, like, the two times I've been there for Oshaga. <laughs> I don't... You might have not even, like, gone anywhere near there, but it's sort of, like... It's not too far from, like, the Eaton Center. It's, like, you know, basically corner of René Levesque and Peel, so, like, really smack downtown. Wait, so we um, took you to a park to break up with you? Yes. He's one of in those. public. One Why of the those. gays love breaking up in a park? I didn't even, honestly, at that time in my life, I didn't even know that was a thing. Honestly, <laughs> I like didn't even know. And yeah, and it was just, he was so matter of fact about it. Um, but he didn't give a reason. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like basically something along the lines of like, I, this isn't right for me anymore. And, um, I don't want this relationship anymore. And it was so weird because, like I told you, like, we were getting closer than ever. Yeah. You know, like, things were progressing and things were really good and fun. Like, we never, we didn't really have fights. I mean, I think that, you know, we have two very different points of view on the world. And I think there were maybe some instances of, like, you know, tension or, like, slight disagreements, but, like, nothing major, you know? Yeah. I think part of it was that he had feelings sort of instantly for me, and, like I told you, my feelings for him came a bit later, you know? And I think that there was some back and forth there a little bit, and I guess by the time that my feelings, like, fully came into being, like, maybe he was already sort of 
past that and like couldn't really or was, you know, had a hard time with that sort of maybe feeling of rejection. I don't know, because he never really told me what was going on or what his feelings were, you know, like when he ended it, like there really were no reasons. Mm -hmm. And but I was just so blindsided, like I had absolutely no clue that that was coming. It was such a shock. I and we were in that park and I just like started like sobbing. Like, I couldn't even help myself. Like, it was just such a visceral, primal reaction that I had no control over. And I felt so embarrassed because it was in public. And again, like, I didn't have my apartment downtown anymore. So, like, I didn't really have anywhere to go. Um, And I remember calling one of my really good friends and just, like, you know, sobbing on the phone and being like, can you come downtown and... And she came and, like, helped, you know, sort of calm me down. But I was really, really devastated. And it sort of, it definitely wasn't the only reason, but it it launched um, this time in my life that lasted, I want to say, like, a good five months of, like, the most depressed I've ever been in my life. I think it's the only time that I've experienced, like, true, deep, dark unsurmountable depression, like to the point where I was really not functional, you know, like I could barely get out of bed every day. I could like barely get my homework done for my classes and get my papers written and all of that. Like, I think part of it was not just losing that relationship, but like I loved living downtown so much for that summer and I had gotten that taste of independence and freedom. And that was also you know, even though I knew that it would be over by the end of the summer, like that was also a loss. And I just felt, I don't know. I just really fell into this like deep despair. Listen, like six months isn't like on paper, a long time for a relationship, but you can like build like a solid foundation of a life in six months. Cause it's not just a relationship. You're doing other things. Like obviously like you had your apartment and like you have your job and like all those things just like, coalesce and then like when that happens it's like a hard line in your mind that just like rips all of it away so I think like if I can tie this to this without being uh trite um like say what you will about Twilight like the best thing Stephanie Meyer ever did was in New Moon when Edward breaks up with Bella it's just like three blank pages with like month headings <laughs> and that's what it feels like it's just that, like that is exactly what it was <laughs> I mean I'm I'm embarrassed to admit <laughs> um, I never thought I'd have anything in common with Stephanie Meyer <laughs> well maybe not um, Stephanie Meyer just Bella right but even yeah, that's like every girl um, <laughs> yeah But yeah, I just, you know, and I felt like, you know, getting back to that idea of like, you know, him coming from such a privileged, wealthy world, feeling shut out from that too. You know what I mean? Like in a weird way, like I can't really fully articulate it, but I, I felt like in a way, like it was, I think I had in my mind that like had this relationship progressed that, like, this would have been someone who I would have sort of felt taken care of by. And I know that you shouldn't want that, and I was so young at the time, you know, but I think that I've always been someone who's, like, chasing stability, 
you know, yeah. and, and feelings of safety and security. Mm-hmm. And he represented that at that time for me, you know, and he represented a sort of easy way to those things. And so that was gone too. And I, that was hard for that. The loss on that level was hard for me as well. And I remember, you know, like I would, once he had broken up with me, like, you know, there was still this sort of like, let's be friends sort of thing because he seemed so unaffected by the breakup. You know what I mean? It was like, he had made this decision, Mm -hmm. you know, coming from whatever, like really logical and didn't seem to be like an emotionally motivated place. And you know, when I'd call him in the hopes of, like, remaining friends, I would inevitably just end up crying on the phone and, like, being devastated. And he would just, like, you know, he had this, like, very clear boundary, which is fine. Like, I... I mean, I didn't really fully understand boundaries at that time in my life, but I I get that now. I mean, youth. (laughs) It's just what happens. Um, But, yeah, it was just, like, that, that process of trying to remain friends because I just... I cared about him and liked being with him so much that I didn't want to lose him completely. So, you know, he was offering this possibility of being friends and I was taking it, which I shouldn't have. Um, because it's just not possible that immediately. You mm-hmm. know, especially when one party is so devastated and the other one is seemingly not, yeah. you know? Um, and I remember, again, under this guise of, like, let's be friends, we went to go see Hairspray with John Travolta, um, the, like, the movie version of the musical. <laughs> you mean my third favorite film of all time? <laughs> well, it ruined it for me. No! Because, yes, it was such a horrible experience. The whole time that I was sitting there, I just felt so horrible. I felt like here is this person that like I'm kind of in love with sitting right next to me and we can't be together. It was torture. Yeah. It was torture sitting in that theater watching that movie. So Especially that like a movie feel was good ruined. movie like like Yeah, like, yeah everyone exactly. gets a happy ending except for except me. me. <laughs> See, I had an ex, uh, we like tried to do like the be friends thing and then like the first movie we saw together post-breakup was um, the Elizabeth Moss Invisible Man. Oh my god, I've was, never seen that one. It's about, like, a woman escaping uh, an abusive relationship, which, like, my ex and I did not have an abusive relationship, but it's like, ends with her, like, killing him. And I was like, this is great. Oh, wow. I wish I would have gone to see that instead of Hairspray. <laughs> gotta set the tone. Gotta set the tone. Yeah, gotta set the tone for sure. And... You know, like, as as time sort of went on, I, you know, stopped talking. We stopped talking. Yeah. Um, and also, I forgot to mention that, like, you know, I had met a lot of his friends as well. And, like, you know, I just, like, I had a good... I didn't become close with them. You know, there wasn't really that time. But, like, I had a good time, like, just being with all of them. And, you know, it was just this really on so many levels, just this really harsh rejection that again Mm -hmm. came so out of nowhere that like being blindsided like that was the most traumatic part of it. And I, and it did affect so much of what came after, you know, like I, we all have abandonment issues to varying degrees. Mine are very pronounced and they were already pronounced before that experience, you know? Yeah. 
And so that just amplified all of my abandonment issues. And, you know, I don't think it's the, it's not the only reason why I have a hard time trusting people when it comes to romantic feelings and allowing myself to let down my walls and be in a relationship with someone. But it is part of it, you know, it it is part of the accumulation of the different experiences that I've had that have, you know, resulted in me having the hangups and the emotional patterns um, that I do. So even though it was a short relationship, the sort of... The the after effects lasted a, a really long time. And again, some still to this day... Um, well, one of my favorite things to talk about on this podcast is the concept of, like, pain tolerance, which is, like, you know, like, things hurt so much more when you're a child because you don't, like, have a scale of pain to compare it to. Right. And so, like, especially that, like, if that, like, no matter what that relationship was, if you, if that was, like, the breakup with it was there was, like, there was no closure and it was, like, such a blindside and you have nothing previous to compare it to, like, that is going to just, like ripple on outward for like however long it does yeah exactly exactly and you know like and I did I mean it's so corny and cliche but I really did learn a lot from that experience you know because as much as I was sort of incapacitated by that depression like I was so determined to like actively move through it Mm -hmm. part of what I learned too and that was really that I also had to learn to accept the pain and the and to grieve the loss because I think that I've generally been someone who I'm very pain avoidant you know Um, I mean I guess most people are Um, but you know when I have sort of negative feelings or I'm sad or I'm angry I'm stressed like I want to bypass those feelings and get to feeling fine again like as quickly as I can Ah. I'm not good at allowing myself to fully feel sad. I'm better at, I'm much better at it now. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I give the space the, that my feelings need, but back then, especially, and again, I think it was in, especially after the breakup, my mission to become completely independent and self-sufficient and not need anyone was like, I mean, that gave me that momentum, you know? Okay. And again, which pushed me to this, extreme where I am now having to unlearn certain things mm-hmm. and having to take down certain walls so that like I I can you know uh, let people in yeah um and and allow myself to experience partnership okay I want to go back to something quick because um, you said uh, about like learning to let yourself feel sad which is something that, like, every therapist tells you to do, every, like, just, like, feel it. Like, it's such a nebulous term. Yeah. So what does that look like for you? I think what it looked like for me and still does is just, like, letting, like, stopping the resistance. And also understanding that feeling bad is not a personal failure. You know, because I'm also, like, very much, like, a perfectionist. Um, in, in not in the sense that like I'm like crazy ambitious and like always working all the time. It's not that form of perfectionism, mm-hmm. but it's more just like if I'm gonna do something, like wanting it to really be the best that it can be. I, I'm 
maybe even what's more accurate than perfectionism is just like the fear of failure. You know, so sometimes I'd even rather just maintain some sort of level of satisfaction than like experience failure. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that I did have an association with feeling badly and failing as a person. I think for me for a long time, those two things were really interconnected. Um, And I think part of that is because, and maybe this is like TMI, but like, you know, like my mom has suffered from depression. And so like the message that she was always sort of trying to give me and my sister is like, be happy, be happy, be happy. And so like there was always this, And I understand where she was coming from saying that it wasn't meant to be harmful. But I think Mm -hmm. that I got this idea in my mind that like you kind of like you have to strive to be happy all the time. And that's, as we all know, just completely unrealistic. Well, but I had to sort of unlearn uh, that. Yeah. I mean, to quote contemporary poet Kim Cattrall, I never want to be in a situation for even an hour where I'm not enjoying myself, which is my favorite. My favorite. No, it's not unhinged. It is like (laughs) I love that quote so much. And I truly aspire to that. Although it is definitely not realistic. Yeah. It's definitely not realistic. It is not. I had a thought and then I immediately lost it. So go ahead. um, Well, so, yeah. So, I mean, we stopped talking. Clearly, being friends was not going to work out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like with time, he just became like a very distant memory. Even now, like it's weird to even talk about it because I feel just it feels like it almost never happened. You know, like, yeah, I, you know, I know what he looks like and I would recognize him in a crowd. But like, you know, even the memory of what he looks like is, you know, slightly faded. And the last that I ever heard from him was like a few years ago. Um, out of the blue, I got a message from him on Facebook, um, him just saying, I'm really sorry for the way that I treated you back then. He's like, I was going through shit and that's not an excuse, but I'm really sorry. And this apology came like five, six years after the fact, at which point that so apology weird. is not even for you. That's just no, for it's him. not. It, yeah, exactly. Because what, like, what can I do with that? Like, I'm already, I already did what I needed to do, yeah. to get past that a long time ago. You know, yeah. So yeah, I don't know what the issues were. Like again, I'll I'll never really know, and I don't really care now, especially like it has no bearing on my life in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not, like, looking for that immediate... Like, closure is good in the immediate moment to move on, but you will move on eventually. It'll just be yeah. sucky. Exactly. exactly. To use a scientific term. <laughs> um, were you uh, in the performing arts at that time? Or no, that not at you? all. Um, so, yeah, so Jesse was, like, summer of 2008... And I started performing um, at the beginning of the summer of 2013. Wow. So it was like five years later. Okay. And yeah, I mean, I think that um, I've I've always had that performer and creative energy in me since I was a kid. Like it was Mm -hmm. just 
it was just always there and very strong and very pronounced. Mm -hmm. Um, But I never really knew how to channel it or express it. And I was also scared of it because I was like bullied really badly as a kid. And so like as a kid to survive that experience, I just tried to make myself as invisible as possible, Mm -hmm. you know, which is really in direct conflict with performing and being visible and being seen. So, Relatable. Yeah, so I just sort of buried that, you know, that that side of me. And in right. a way, because there was also, equally as a kid, there was also this very strong and pronounced and authentic feeling of being a girl, mm-hmm. you know, that I also had to sort of put aside with that performer energy and for me, those two things have always really been interconnected. Yeah. And, you know, it really took me coming to this understanding of myself as a trans person to realign myself with this feeling of purpose that I have with performing. Mm-hmm. Um, one really couldn't have happened without the other. Okay. That does tie into another question that I wanted to ask. Um, because, uh, in terms of, like, relationships, and if this is, like, too much, please let me know, and we can, like, skip over it. <laughs> um, dating on the trans spectrum is, like, a fresh hell. Yes. So, especially, like, coming out of, like, that, that's your one experience, and, like, the trusts and the walls that come with that, is that, like, if, if it's not something you want to pursue, that's fine, but how do you work through that? Um, well, to be very honest, I think, I think I like put my own sort of parameters around my dating life. So I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, in these last few years in my mind and I like, and again, like I'm, I'm working on it, but in my mind, I think I've decided that as a trans person, I'm not lovable in that way. Like, I'm never going to meet someone who's going to see me the way that I need to be seen. And so I've basically just been like, well, I'll just allow myself to sort of be, like, sexually desired and pursue sort of... I mean, I don't even do that anymore. Like, Like, I don't hook up at all, but I do like male attention. So like, I'm just basically on the apps, just like collecting compliments, you know? And, (laughs) but I've really, I've, I've limited, I've limited my own possibilities. Like, you know, and I'm, again, it's something that I'm working on and unlearning, but then, you know, there's a part of me that is also trying to figure out, like, maybe I'm just not wired for this. You know what I mean? Like, I am a sexual person, but maybe these, like, committed, in-it-together partnerships 24-7 is not for me. Yeah. You know? Because I, there is a part of me that is authentically an an independent person. You know, Mm -hmm. like, again, it can go to an extreme that is not good. But I think in its non-extreme form, it's fine. It's a part of just my natural personality and being, you know? And I can't really imagine myself, like, living with someone and really sharing a life all the time. 
Um, so I'm still even trying to figure out like what it is that I like even really want. And For maybe sure. it's okay to not want to be in a relationship. I agree. I mean, like I always like, again, until very recently, it was one of those people who was like, I need a boyfriend and I want this thing that will like completely complete me and make me happy and yada, yada, yada. And then like, I started living by myself with no roommates for the first time in like a year, not to brag. And (laughs) I could never go back to it. Like, I don't care who this person is. No one is entering my space. I feel that way too. Like I, when I first moved out, so like after like coming out of that, like depressive funk after the breakup and everything, like, part of my, like, it really solidified this resolve to, like, I'm moving out and getting my own place. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I made that happen, like, less than a year later. And I've moved out with my best friend, and we lived together for two years, and then I moved out on my own, and yeah, since then, like, I can't. I can't share my space like that. No. And I, mean, I, I think could maybe like... live with someone if we're living in, like, a giant house and we each have our own wings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In the manor, not in a condo, not an apartment. Yeah, Absolutely no. Not. Yeah, we need two separate wings. <laughs> Which I think is, like, 100% like part and parcel to the whole, like, I don't need a relationship for this anymore. Like, yeah. you know, like, and again, like, I have the apps. I don't use them until I, like, come home in a blackout, and then I'm just <laughs> swiping. <laughs> Which is... Whatever. Um, Yeah. I, yeah, I relate to that a lot. And yeah, I definitely, I can say like with definitive confidence that like, I don't need a relationship. I guess I'm just trying to figure out if I even want one. And it's just hard to separate the truth of my feelings versus what I've taught myself or like the narrative that I've sold myself that it, that can potentially be untrue, you know, Mm -hmm. like, like convincing myself that like, I'm not lovable in that way. Like that's not true. Um, and, but so, yeah, I'm just, you know, even career wise, sometimes like I have a hard time figuring out like, what do I really want? Like, is this something that I really want or is it something that like I've been taught to think that I want or need? And I have, sometimes I have a hard time really getting, you know, the truth is so often buried underneath like all these lies that we sell ourselves and that we've been sold. And so sometimes it's hard to get to like the real truth of, of certain feelings. You just said like so many things that I just like, Like, that's just never had words for before, which is, uh, like, the the idea of, like, is this something that I want or is this something that I've been taught or conditioned to want is, like, shaking me to my core because I'm going to (laughs) go sit after this and reevaluate my entire life. Well, I felt it a lot, like, during the pandemic, you know, like, it was, it's been so hard to be productive. Yeah. And, you know, I I get so frustrated and I feel like for most of this past year and a half, like, there's it's almost like a physical barrier that I feel within me, like that's preventing me from like sitting down and working, you know? And I sort of like, I mean, I still get my shit done. I do what needs to be done, but the process is so torturous, Yeah, you know? And so like, it has led me to feeling like, okay, is like me, is this resistance, like my inner saboteur, like trying to sabotage the work that I'm doing and the career that I'm trying to build for myself or like, 
am I feeling this resistance because I just don't fucking want to do this at least right now, you know? And I, it's a really hard question to answer sometimes. For sure. I don't have an answer for how you find that out myself, but again, that is, and I I equally feel that for relationships. Like I equally feel like, you know, when I'm like on the apps and I'm like, you know, sort of messaging people and putting myself out there, like, I'm like, do I really want this? Um, yeah, very part rarely of me is just the wants answer. To, yeah, very rare. I, and I don't think I, I don't have it in me to chase it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I really don't. And I don't know, the whole online dating thing, you know, like, I've been doing it for so long. And I just, like, I hate this, like, feeling that it's like a catalog and that like you the process is very similar to like a job search and I'm like it should just not be this way and this doesn't feel right or good for me it has to feel organic it's too forceful yeah exactly and this is the opposite it is so forceful Mm -hmm. and forcing Mm -hmm. things to happen rarely results in good things happening in my experience anyway no, I get it. I've told every single person that I've ever gone on a date with, uh, I am a Taurus. I know what I'm comfortable with. I know what my life is shaped like. I'm not going to make room for you. There is space there for a person, but you have to be able to fit in there effortlessly. Right. I'm not stretching for you. Oh, that, okay. So. I, I like, I definitely feel that. I don't, but I, my problem is, is that I don't even know if the space is there. <laughs> I think In that's case, my problem. Yeah. You don't need yeah. the space though. Like, you know what you're comfortable with and like, you know what, I mean, you're yeah. figuring out what but you're I comfortable just, with and what I you don't, want. The reason that it's really important for me to really get to the truth of what I want and, and what mm-hmm. I feel is because I don't want to have regrets and I don't want to be closing myself off to something that I might actually want, you know? So like, that's why it's important for me to really figure out where I'm coming from because I want to make whatever decision based on the truth, you know? Where Um, does the idea of closing things off come from for you? Like, how does that? Well, it's deeply rooted in self-protection, you Mm know? Um, Again, the experience that I had with Jesse left me being like, I never want to feel this again. I never want to let someone hurt me like this again. And like you said before, like that idea of like pain threshold and like pain tolerance and and Mm -hmm. developing that. And obviously when you're young, those first few like heartbreaks are the hardest and most overwhelming, you know? So at this point in my life, it's not... You know, if if someone were to break my heart, it wouldn't be fully that, you know, like I have coping mechanisms now, like I have ways of helping myself. I have I know how to reach out for help in those moments. It wouldn't be the same experience. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I shouldn't fear what I experienced then. Yeah. Um, But again, for me, it's not just related to that, you know, like it goes back to that childhood experience of being bullied and feeling so unsafe and so unprotected. And yeah, so the closed offness, um, is really, is really about self-protection. Gotcha. Um, 
But with friends, it's been very easy. You know, like I have no trouble letting friends in and having really deep friendships. Like I don't do casual friendships. I mean, I have some casual friendships, obviously, but, you know, like with my sort of closest people, like, like it's really deep friendship. And that doesn't scare me at all. And I'm fully open to that. That brings me to another thing that I wanted to ask you about. You are the co-host, co-creator, co-producer of a very famous podcast and project called Chosen Family. Well, mine is the very famous part, yes. (laughs) I like my version. (laughs) (laughs) Um, First off, tell us what Chosen Family is. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's basically a talk show. We're not reinventing the wheel. <laughs> um, but it's actually really related to that idea of deep friendship. And yeah. it, it's, you know, it is a talk show, but we choose, I mean, it's really focused on, our guests are mostly artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and people who, through their work, share, you know, very personal experiences. Um, and so the con- the conversations that we have on Chosen Family tend to really go deep. Yeah. Um, and I think that's sort of like what sets us apart um, in the sort of talk show sphere um, is that it's a real, it's a show really driven by like emotion as well and, and connection. And um, I think both myself and my co-host Thomas were really, sort of in awe of artists who are able to create work that is, like, radically vulnerable. hmm How did you arrive at the title Chosen Family? Um, I rem- when we were talking about doing the, to- the, the show, Thomas and I had been doing a lot of live shows together, like mm-hmm. these sort of variety shows where we had, like, you know, lots of our fellow performer friends be in our show, and, like, the process of putting those shows together was so much fun and fulfilling and and feeling that connection with everyone that like those productions really felt like experiences of chosen family. And we were just talking about that. Um, Yeah. We just, we were talking about that term and then we both were just sort of like, that's, that's the title. Obviously we did not invent that term, obviously. And we're not claiming ownership over it. Um, But it was just as we were talking about, the good feelings that we have making art with our friends, mm-hmm. that was just the, the only way to really express it. And have you taken any of, like, the lessons that you've learned through, like, this experience in your past about, like, isolation and, like, what, the pain that you felt and, like, how you worked through that into what you're currently doing with that? What does that yeah, I think- look like if you do? Well, I think even just the idea of, like, doing this work with Thomas, you know, like, before I met Thomas, like, I'd been doing stand-up, which, as you know, is, like, a very solitary experience. Yep. You write your shit alone, you're up there alone, it's, like, it's so solitary. And I like yeah. that, you know, like, I I hate group projects, I hated group projects when I was in school, Cannot rely Um, on other people's work. Cannot rely. Um, But, like, meeting Thomas, there was just something that felt so right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I think, like, the how the sort of work that I was doing on myself feeds into this project is just even being open to the idea of allowing Thomas in and doing this work with him. 
Um, I don't think that could have happened, you know, before any sooner than that. And, yeah. and also I think it showed me the possibility of collaboration and it's, and I still love doing things on my own as well, obviously, but now mm-hmm. there's this whole other dimension of things that I get to experience that has been so amazing and fulfilling and exciting. Um, and so really working with Thomas taught me how to let people in on the creative front, on the professional front. Um, and I guess I still have to learn to do that on the romantic front. Yeah, it's less important. <laughs> Cool. Uh, I think we're almost done. I do have one more question, and it is my favorite, and I save it for last. Um, Trana, pop culture scholar and genius, uh, (laughs) do you have a breakup anthem? Oh, my God. Um, I would have to go with um, Alanis Morissette's That Particular Time, it's a song from her Under Rug Swept album. Yes. Oh, actually, you know what? Well, it sort of goes hand in hand. It's a, it's a, there's another song from the same session um, mm-hmm. that didn't make it onto the album, but it made it onto this EP called Feast on Scraps that she released after Under Rug Swept with sort of yeah. the discarded tracks. And it's called Simple Together. And actually, I would choose that one over that particular time. Simple Together is so devastating and the whole song is really about and it sort of goes back to what I was sharing with you earlier about sometimes you go into certain relationships with expectations and fantasies and you have Mm -hmm. all these ideas for the possibility of what this connection can be and Simple Together is really about those expectations and those hopes and the devastation of them being shattered and not happening Nice. It's a really devastating song. God, I love a devastating song. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in the world. Just like, yeah. Give me like that, like emotional honesty and storytelling, and then just like a sucker punch of a lyric. Yeah, exactly. And that song really is that. That particular time is as well, but I think that particular time is a bit more specific to a certain experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas "Simple Together," I feel covers. Um, It's a bit more broad um, in what it speaks to. Is there like a lyric that stands out to you? Um, uh, Well, there is, I guess the one that sort of comes to mind is um, she sort of sings about, she says like, you've been my golden best friend, but we're off limits during this time of transition or something to that effect. And it's the idea of this person that means so much to you and that you share so much with. And now this thing has happened and you have no access to that. Um, and that's yep. like so devastating. Like that feeling of being shut out from this connection and friendship. You know, I'm assuming that at the heart of most good relationships is a friendship um, mm-hmm. and, and being cut off from that because of a breakup is really fucking tough. And also, I think, like, you know, she gives this whole list of, like, I thought we'd be simple together. I thought we'd be happy together. I thought we'd be all of these things together. And then she just says, but I was sadly mistaken. And, yeah, that, like, just say that just that line, I was sadly mistaken is, like, 
Okay. I was wrong. Rip me to shreds. Yeah. Love it. And I think Alanis, I mean, not I think, Alanis also has that sort of perfectionism as trauma response thing going on. Uh And, you know, even in those lyrics, I can hear her saying that, like, I'm experiencing this as a failure. You know, Mm -hmm. I was wrong. I made a mistake. Like, there's this sense of personal failure. Yeah. Solid choice. (laughs) It's a good one. I'm going to put that on the playlist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's all of my questions. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute treat. Do you, thank you have anything so much you wanna... for inviting me? Ah, thank you for saying yes. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go? I think it's going to come out in like two weeks. Um, well, people can listen to chosen family wherever they get their podcasts. And I also have, um, an album, um, on Spotify. Cause I also do music and that, that like always gets sidelined by comedy but it's something that I'm really really proud of um and the album is called Safe From Your Affection and a lot of the themes on the album are about a lot of the things that we discussed today so it you know it's also, a good companion title, piece that title's <laughs> incredible thank you well I again it's that. really that idea of like the walls that I've put around myself and, and yeah. Um, yeah just being like scared to be being scared to allow yourself to be loved, you know? Yeah. Dope. Good times. I can't wait to listen Good to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. If you listen to this, this has been Shred of the Post Breakup Podcast. I'm Brendan D'Souza. This has been Shred of Winter, and we are breaking up with you. <laughs> Hey yo, once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shred of the Post Breakup Podcast. Thank you so much to Trana Winter for joining us today. Uh, make sure you check out Chosen Family and also make sure you check out Save From Your Affections and that kick-ass title on Spotify. If you're in Canada, make sure you get out there and vote. That's a very important thing to do. And uh, I've said thank you enough. Listen, you're used to this. Uh, see you next time. Goodbye.